issue with this. It gives me that sinking feeling. Yeah, can I have another one? Okay. Yeah, uh, one of our team members had a number of um, uh, prophetic revelations in the night concerning um, kind of what's going on um, to unsettle you. And so we're going to talk about that in just a little while. I'm going to teach very briefly this morning. And uh, then we're going to we're going to model something. We're going to do an exercise. We're also going to switch up what we're going to do this afternoon. And so we'll explain that in just a little while as well. And so um, is this the one that gets it to go up, Josh? Yeah, we'll bring it just a little higher. Okay. Sorry about your night's sleep. As I told somebody this morning, sleep is for the week. It was supposed to be funny. It didn't work. I won't use that again. I'm going to make a note very quickly. Um, I've got a little PowerPoint presentation I want to do, and in, in an effort to just get moving and to uh, get through this relatively quickly, uh, I'm going to skip the niceties and skip some jokes because apparently they're not working this morning anyway. And so, no. Oh, no, it's not you. It's me. I mean, trust me, I'm not blaming you. It's... Uh, it's um, my my 12-year-old often tells me, she said, but Dad, the reason we don't laugh is your jokes aren't funny. <laughs> and so, no, it's okay. She's she's right. And so, uh, uh, anyway, don't don't worry about it. I don't, I don't have that conflict. Um, I want to talk a little bit this morning, and, and I, what you, you might understand from hearing me speak is um, I see things differently. And uh, I've always seen them differently. It is, it is not a product of of simply being rebellious and questioning conventional wisdom. It is, it is a gift that when I look in the scriptures, I see things and these questions come to me, and I think that doesn't make sense. And it's gotten me in some significant trouble, especially when I was younger. And honestly, it, it is not me approaching or attempting to tear anything down. I'm, my goal is to build and to encourage uh, and to comfort and to release but I can't help what I see. And um, a couple years ago, I, I, I started thinking about this whole concept that is communicated in the church that if you see God's face, you'll die. And then I realized we're constantly encouraged to seek his face. And I'm thinking, okay, so um, we got, you know, what do you, what do you do? You tell people, hey, let's seek God's face. Well, yeah, but what if we're successful? Well, you die. I mean, you know, it's... And then I started thinking... If you see God's face, you'll die. That's what we're hearing. But, you know, there was a guy in Scripture who saw God's face, and he didn't die. It was the exact opposite. I mean, Moses saw his face and apparently was so changed by the encounter of seeing his face that he couldn't die. He was thoroughly changed where his physical nature uh, was such that he was radically transformed by seeing God's face. So I began to recognize that conventional wisdom, things that we have been handed down and things that have come down to us are often not only counterintuitive, they're unproductive. Not only are they unproductive, they are hindering concerning the very purposes of God. Does that make sense? Now, I'm not standing as a guy who, who is some sort of expert on all this stuff. I mean, I'm a student. That's what I am. But I'm a student who's willing to stand up and say, this doesn't make sense. Is everybody with me? 
And so I'm on the same journey as you are, and um, I'm just not smart enough to not talk about it publicly. <laughs> that's, that's the issue. That's the reality. And so um, as I've gone through the scriptures, I've discovered, and, I, and, and it's not through like years of patient study. Jack Deere wrote that on the back of my book as an endorsement, but it, it's I open up the Bible and something jumps out at me and I see something I've never seen before. It is a gift. Do you understand? Okay. Um, Marcus, you can go ahead and crank that thing up. You can go ahead and start. You can't crank it up. Oh, oh yeah. Okay, well, don't worry about it. Um, I'll tell you what. You wanna, are you guys working off a Mac system? If I give you a PC, you think it'll work? Yeah. I'll be willing to give this to you then. I wanted to do a little PowerPoint presentation because I think it'll, it'll help everybody to see this a little bit. And um, uh, you can spin that thing around and pop it up if you need to and do whatever you want to do. What I want to talk about is kind of the situation that we find ourselves in, questions we all have, and what I believe are some solutions. And it, and it may seem uh, audacious to present solutions, but... Um, I think God has given sort of collectively in this generation some, some ideas about how to move forward and some components, thank you, uh, that'll, that'll help us move forward. And so I want to do that. Is everybody okay with me, me doing some of that? Okay. Um, and so that's what I, I want to do uh, as soon as the PowerPoint gets started. We're having any... I was going to say we have any luck, but I don't believe in it. So, uh. trust me. If I say I shouldn't, you don't want me to. It's a oh, there we go. Isn't that beautiful? Okay, I want to talk about the situation and the solution. And uh, we've we've got some situations, and I believe there are some solutions, and they're a little bit shocking. Oh, you got it on yours. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. That's great. Sorry I didn't get this to you guys earlier. It would have made your life simpler. Situation and the solution. All right, let's look at the situation. And I'm going to do this quickly. And one of the things I, I, that I appreciated last night was I could say a massive amount of stuff. Uh, I, I've never been able to say that much uh, on this subject to a crowd and feel like they were with me all along the way. And so that was, that was thrilling to me. And what it means is you guys, in a lot of cases, you've got the questions right. In a lot of cases, you've already got some of the answers. I felt like we were able to take a lot of ground last night. And so I was very, very happy. This is thrilling for me. I woke up this morning, um, ultimately, and found a happy place. Um, I mean, it was 2 o'clock, 5 o'clock, that kind of thing. But I, I was just thrilled to be here. And so I want you to know that. All right. Here's what we've got. Here's the, the situation. If you go to the next slide. We've got the world systems. And here's what's happening with them, as everybody can see. You just go ahead and, and, and rock it. See, the world systems, they're teetering, they're tottering, they're shaking, they're failing. It's, it's a tragic situation. And uh, the reality is, and you know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about the financial system. How many you know there's been a massive financial shaking in the past? Yeah, it's been... It's been it's been unheralded, but the reality is, um, go ahead with the next one, many of the world systems have been failing for years, 
but now it's got our attention because the ones that we've depended on are failing now. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, I wrote, a, uh, I wrote an article a number of years ago called The uh, Mandate for Economic Justice. And I had a you know, guy flying from the UK who's a professor at a university, and he said, I, I didn't know evangelicals were talking about economic justice. And I believe we have a mandate for that. I believe it's biblical. And so, uh, but now the systems that we depend on, the financial system here, came unglued. And all of a sudden, we began to prophesy, oh man, God's shaking things. Well, hello. <laughs> you know the difference in a recession and a depression. A recession is when other people are, are being affected. A depression is when you're being affected. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, this is where we get down to. Okay, so the unredeemed, those who do not know God or who, who have not found what he's done for them, they're fearful, they're hopeless, they're looking for natural solutions. Uh, we live in Charlotte, which is a, a banking capital, I can go out into public and I can tell you if there has been good news released from the banks that day or the day before or if it's been bad news. It is unbelievable. The, the mood swings of the corporate collective consciousness in the city of Charlotte are like a pendulum right now. It's unbelievable. Do you understand what I'm saying? Or you, you guys probably immune from that up here. All right, but anyway, Christians are standing alongside of the world system shaking saying, we told you this was going to happen. God's shaking everything that can be shaken. The whole thing's going under. Okay, let's go on. Here's what's happened, and this is how I believe we got here. We've been trying to do God's job, make ourselves holy, and we expected him to do ours, change the world. We talked about this last night. Did that make sense to some of you guys? Most of you probably knew it. Some of you, it may have given you language for something you already felt and just sort of crystallized your thoughts. Um, basically what we've done is, um, Vince, would you bring that whiteboard up here real quickly? Let me, let me do this. This is true multimedia. <laughs> See, I told you you didn't want me to use my jokes. <laughs> All right. If you can see this, um, some of, yeah, yeah, get it up there. All right, good. Do this real quickly. Here's what we've done. We, we've had, you know, God up there where he is, and then there's been this entity called the church. And then there's this other entity that we understand called the world. And we have, you know, we've been over here trying to make ourselves holy, believing that if we made ourselves holy, God would change the world. Again, we got it backwards. And so what happened is there's also been this other component going on where we felt like the way to win is to get everybody into the world, into the church, and that if the church became bigger, a bigger entity, we would become more powerful and we would win. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so what we've tried to do is we've tried to depopulate the world, getting them transferred over into the church. Now, there's a reality to the fact that we need to get unbelievers saved, but what we've done framed by this thing where we believe we were supposed to make ourselves holy. Yeah, nobody can read this. I don't even know why I'm doing it. <laughs> Believing that God's going to change the world. I know, but I know you can see it, but reading it's a different thing. And so what we've done is as people were meeting the Lord, we would say things like this. You've got people over here in the, the financial world. You've got people in the entertainment world. You've got people in 
uh, the political world. And since we believed that we were supposed to make ourselves holy in a natural fashion, we, we preached these messages like, you know, the guys who are in the financial world. You know, you've got to be careful of greed. You've got to do this. And these guys are starting to get promoted. You know, you got to, hey, you can't get exalted. You're not supposed to get exalted before men. You might get arrogant. You might get prideful. And that would displease God. You wouldn't be holy then. He couldn't change the world. So what we ended up doing is we've prophesied and taught people out of positions of influence in the world and got them over into these heaps and piles in the church. So what we've really done is we've taught and prophesied the salt and light clean out of the world over into the church. And then we've celebrated how big our salt piles were. Are you guys digging me? You understand? Well, the, the, the net result is this. The net result is we have weakened the world's system and then as it was not preserved through the salt and light or transformed, is what we're ultimately going to see through the supernatural people who were put there to transform those systems, they failed. Meanwhile, we said, we told you so. We've actually caused the problem. Are you following me? We fought, all right, let's go on. Many have been failing for years. But the, oh, I'm on the wrong one. My, my bad. Did you guys pull my stylus out? Thank you. <laughs> did I mention I didn't sleep last night? Did I, did I also mention I'm not really that smart? I just have these questions and it's a gift. We've been trying to do God's job, make ourselves holy, expect Him to do ours. We've extracted ourselves from the world in order to grow in personal holiness and salvation. I believe in personal holiness. I believe in salvation. I really do, okay? As we did this, the systems of the world we're called to transform have had all of the salt and light removed, making them weaker. Go on. Let me give you a parable, 1972, and I just randomly picked the date. Jesus is coming back probably next Tuesday. Let's get everybody saved. This was the common thread, the, th the common theology. We began to have an apocalyptic mindset. It had actually existed, but it became very prominent. Jesus is coming back, okay? We've got to get everybody saved. And I'm, I'm all about salvation. I talk to people about Jesus all the time. Let's go on. Things in the world, this was the other part of the theology, things in the world are going to get horrific. The Antichrist will emerge. The church will also shrink and get worse. It will be the Laodicean church, the last one. It will be totally preoccupied <laughs> with worldly things. It will be a worldly church. The goal was to get as many people saved as possible before everything fell apart. Now, I want to again suggest who probably devised the theology that had a weak church, a powerless God, and an exalted antichrist. Think about that for a moment. I mean, that's the enemy had to be behind that theology because he always tr seeks to glorify himself. Are you digging me? Okay, let's go on. And if you're concerned about this being not sounding like a sermon, this was billed as conversations. So I'm just talking to you. All right. Continuing. The message began to be, come out of the world. Judgment's coming and get holy. I had news for you. Jesus didn't say come out of the world. He said go into all of the world. There were many Christians who felt called to the financial world. Okay? That realm. They began to hear messages that warned of greed. To get holy in a natural sense 
if you are, I'm going to switch gears just a moment, not really, but kind of. If you are attempting to make yourself holy through natural means via an old covenant mindset, you have to be uh, separated by proximity from things that could taint you or that could stain you or that could cause you to not be holy. If it's a natural game, you've got to be separated from that which could cause you to be, that which had more power to change you than you had power to transform. Are you listening? Okay, so they began to hear these messages. The salt and the light gathered in the piles. We got that up here, okay? Let's go on. 1972 turned into 2007. As the salt and light gathered in huge piles, the church talked about how the world was going to crumble, and it did. We told you this was going to happen. We prophesied it. The financial folks who had left that world began to thank God they didn't get caught up in the evil, but no one realized that. We caused the financial mess by preaching the salt and light out of the world it was supposed to preserve and enlighten with a better way. What would have happened 30 years ago if we had understood the message of the gospel of the kingdom, not just the message of personal salvation, and had empowered and prophesied and strengthened those who were called to Wall Street, we wouldn't have this mess. Instead of having a transfer of wealth that we're seeing now, there would have been an extension of wealth into poverty-stricken nations as generosity instead of greed, as faith instead of fear would have permeated those systems and we could have actually done something dramatic and beneficial in the nations. Are you following me? This is not, whoo, I felt that. This is not pie in the sky theory. There are people who are doing this individually. Let me tell you about a friend of mine and he actually lives close to here, lives in uh, Ohio. He grew up in Nepal. He was a missionary there. And uh, actually, excuse me, his parents were missionaries. And he walked away from the Lord. And just as wild as a, as a buck. I mean, this guy was just, he and his brother were just crazy. He comes back to the States eventually, eventually begins to walk with the Lord, begins to pastor a church. Calls me uh, out of the blue, has a, is having a really serious issue. He's getting ready to leave the ministry. I don't know that. At this point, I, 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 we weren't doing a lot of, outside things with pastors we were so focused on what we were doing this guy calls uh, and my heart was touched just by him and the Lord began to speak to me about him and I began to prophesy to him he has another really difficult thing happen I don't even know about it he just he calls and he says can you pray for me I prayed and myself and another guy had some prophetic stuff changed the guy's life by the time I went up and ministered with him he said if it were not for you and this other person I would be building houses with my father-in-law today instead of being in the ministry. He said, that's how, that's how close I was to leaving, quote, the ministry. Anyway, pastoring. As he's pastoring, and he gets through this, he develops this remarkable and very natural relationship with the Lord where the Lord really begins to speak to him in some dramatic ways, just conversationally. I mean, the Lord just talks to him, and he just talks about it. He begins to live a really remarkable supernatural life. He would call me and tell me the stuff that God would tell him, but it wasn't just, again, esoteric, theoretical stuff. It was very practical stuff he needed to be doing that became very beneficial in his society. It was tremendous. One day, he's sitting at his kitchen table, and he's thinking about Nepal, and he's in his heart is going back to the people in Nepal, and he's just... He's just thinking about 
there's people still in slavery in Nepal. You guys are aware of this? And so he, he starts thinking, what can I do? Just asking the Lord, Lord, what can I do? And this thought hits him out of the blue. He can get coffee, he can import coffee beans from Nepal, get a roaster in his area to roast them for free, and then he'll sell the coffee and he'll take the money and he'll buy people out of slavery in Nepal. That was his idea. And the idea came out of a conversation with the Lord, sitting at his kitchen table. And so he, he puts this thing into practice, calls the roaster. The roaster goes, oh, man, it's a great idea. I'll, I'll donate my, my, my service and my labor and all this, and we'll just do it together. And so he ends up buying a group of people out of slavery into Paul with the prophets. Well, they're stunned. I mean, when they go over there and do it, they're going like, why would you do this? I mean, this makes no sense. Why would you be interested in us? Why would you care about us? Why would you do this? And he said, well, there was a, there was a man who came and bought me out of slavery. I was a slave as well. And he begins to preach the gospel. This people group that he bought out of slavery ended up getting born again. They got saved. Well, they began to read the scriptures, and they began to understand that God is the Lord of the harvest. And so, all of a sudden, as they're worshiping God, they've, they've been freed. The other thing they did is they bought them land for them to be able to uh, raise their own crops and do this. This people group became so blessed, and their crops prospered while everybody else's are going in the toilet. I mean, it's just unbelievable that all of a sudden, all of the other tribes or the people groups around them began to get jealous and envious, and it caused this huge, huge issue. And there was, I mean, there was real difficulty going on. The government actually had to step in to try and fix the thing. They saw the blessing on this group that had met the Lord and been redeemed from slavery, and they were so stunned by what happened, to make a very long story short, they ended up freeing the rest of the slaves in that region. 150,000 slaves got... (laughs) released because one guy having a conversation with the Lord has an idea that he implements. Isn't that awesome? Power of one guy, an idea, and a little bit of work. Okay? This is not pie in the sky. I know other people who are doing dramatic things in the nations, but check it out. They're not just doing it naturally with your natural effort and energy. I got news for you. Okay? If you're younger than me, listen to me. If you're not, just endure me. Okay? I'm old. 46 people said that is not old. Uh, Trust me, I'm old. No, I am. I mean, I make it look good, but I'm old. Okay, I knew there's a joke for you. What I'm saying is I've lived long enough to know certain things work and certain things don't. And I will tell you what will not work. Attempting to change our world according to your own effort and energy will not work. It will burn you out. It will kill you. It will make you bitter. In fact, I'll tell you this. Bitterness is the fruit of human striving. When you strive in your own natural strength to accomplish something that God has called you to do, ultimately it will provoke bitterness in your life. Bitterness is the fruit of human striving. Okay, so what's the solution? Well, we're supposed to change the world, but just as God empowered, again, us naturally by his spirit, we became supernatural beings and were given authority over the earth, So we are to transform this natural world, not just through our natural efforts. Now, don't get me wrong. 
the guy had to put work to the process of this coffee roasting and all this, but it was a supernatural idea, and there was favor, God's endorsement all over this thing. Are you listening? Okay. Trying to keep moving here. We've got to do this stuff supernaturally. Okay. Uh, Let's see. All right. Here's God's plan. God's plan is us. Now, some people say, now, Steve, how does that not produce human striving? I mean, and it sounds like it does, but let's go on. God's plan for seeing the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ involves us, or involved us, involves us, typo there. Not just us and our natural strength fighting a losing battle against evil. It is us, Christ in us, God's hope, his expectation of glory coming into the world to transform it supernaturally. God's plan is the church. Not transferring people out of the world into the church, but literally propelling people from the church into the world, infiltrating it, taking it over. Listen to me. I'm not talking about taking it over governmentally. I, I honestly get nervous sometimes when Christians are at the helm of certain institutions. I'm sure that'll make me very popular if this CD gets out. Okay. If you look biblically... Joseph was a second in command. Daniel became second in command. Our calling is not to govern through dominance, but to compel through divine influence. Yeah, except I don't think about any stuff. It just comes out. Our goal is not to govern through dominance, but to compel through divine influence. I mean, who in the world, if you had an option of running things or influencing for God the person who did run them, which would you choose? I know which I would choose. Running things takes massive amounts of energy and administration and all that. I just want to have divine influence. I just want to change things so I can keep playing golf and have fun with my kids. Okay. Christ in us. This is the mystery hidden from the ages, now revealed to the saints. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I used to think Christ in me was my hope that glory would be experienced. Then I began to think maybe that's your hope, your hope of glory. Ben's hope of glory is I would have a prophetic word for him last night. Okay, That was his hope that he would experience something of the glory of God. But now I've, I've begun to see something maybe I think a little bit more expanded that's supported by the scripture. It's not my hope of glory. It's not your hope of glory. Literally, it's God's expectation that glory would come in the earth is Christ in us. Is that the quiet sort of evaluation or is that the quiet sort of rejection? Okay, just checking. Um, in Hebrews 10, uh, 13 and 14, and I'm going to quote this poorly, it says that this man, talking about Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for all times for sin, sat down at the right hand of the Father, waiting, some translations say, expecting until his enemies be made his footstool. While we have been waiting on God to change the world, he has been waiting on us. 
I can go through massive other scriptures and prove this as well. He's waiting on us. Now, I am not a guy who believes that we're going to take over everything and take it over governmentally. I'm not interested in that. Okay? It's something different. But it's Christ in us. That is God's expectation of glory coming into the world to transform it supernaturally. Now, again, that's going to sound grandiose. It's going to sound even arrogant in certain ways. I can prove to you that it's not. But his plan is not just a natural church. Hey, go get them, champ. You can do it. You know, we're sitting back here letting you guys go on your own and have fun. Remember, the intention of God always since the very beginning is that people in relationship with him, with his likeness, would be able to bear authority and to subdue and replenish. Do you understand? The problem with the evangelical church in America, the, the sort of prototypical or that which is understood by the world, is this. We have tried to subdue the people and have replenished the enemy instead of replenishing the people and thereby subduing the enemy. In other words, we've tried to control people's behavior naturally, which has caused them to be frustrated and bitter, instead of communicating the love and the mercy and the kindness of God, which subdues the enemy in their life. Is this making sense? And I'm not criticizing. We can make the change. We can make the shift. Okay. Not just a natural church, a supernatural church. A church going into the world, not retracting from it. If you believe that Christ is in you, if you believe that God himself has taken up residence inside of you, then you should be able to believe that you can go into institutions and transform them. We've got fundamental problems where we believe darkness is stronger than light. Listen, we, got, we have sexual immorality rampant in the church because we have not taught uh, the younger generation the beauty of sex in the bonds of marriage. We don't talk about it. And so the average young person grows up believing that the enemy knows more about sex than God does. And that's a flaw. We've got to begin to champion these things. We've got to begin to communicate about this. Generally, as I speak, I... If there's young people in the crowd, I, talk, I try to talk positively uh, in, in some sort of um, non-graphic way about the beauty of sex in a Christian marriage. I mean, listen, I did not sleep with my, my wife before we got married. She's the only woman I've ever slept with. 20 years of marriage, I, she's the only one I've slept with. And the goal for the rest of my life is to sleep with her as much as possible. And until we can start communicating that this is awesome and beautiful in the bonds of marriage, until we can start doing that, we're ceding that territory over to the enemy. Okay. So what I'm saying is Christ in us enables us to go into these places and not be conformed by the world, but to transform it. Let's go on. The problem is that we've seen ourselves as natural instead of supernatural. We have not understood that we are now. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, when you got born again, you, didn't, you just weren't gifted with forgiveness when you sin in heaven when you die. You became a part of a race of beings that never existed prior to Jesus' resurrection. We're part of a new creation. We're a new species we are no longer mere humans. We are some 
mixture of the divine and the human. We're supernatural. Everybody understands this, right? Yeah. But we're supposed to feel it. It's not just supposed to be conceptual. We should have an emotional connection with this that causes us to live something dramatically different. Okay, let's go on. There is a repentance coming. There are people saying, hey, people have been prophesying for years. There's a huge repentance coming to the church. Yes and amen. But it is not the repentance that people expect. I don't believe the repentance is from bad natural things to good natural things. I believe the repentance that's coming is from the natural itself back to the supernatural that we were originally created to walk in. So let me use the the passage of Scripture that is most classically used to describe this repentance that's coming. You know, it is taught that the the church at the end of the age is the Laodicean church. So let's look at that very quickly. Let's look at Revelation chapter 3, and uh, we'll be done by noon or at the worst five minutes after. That doesn't mean I'll be done teaching. I'll be done teaching in just a moment. Is everybody okay? Okay, all right, good. I'm only asking because I'm insecure. Just kidding. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. How many of you were raised hearing or understanding the church at the end of the age was a Laodicean church? Okay. Four of you. Okay. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write this. These things say the amen, the faithful, and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. In other words, Jesus. I know your works, that they are neither cold nor hot. I would that they were cold or hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So then, because you were lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, For me, I grew up in the church, in and around the church, and I would hear this spoken. I would hear this, you know, you've got to be on fire for God. He would rather you be stone cold towards him than being lukewarm. And I would go, that doesn't make any sense to me. And then, you know, I just didn't understand it, but all I knew is that can't be right. I mean, personally, I'd rather somebody, like, be okay with me than hate me. So I couldn't figure out why God would be that way. And then later on, I I began to read the Bible, and I began to see things like where Ahab, the worst king that Israel ever had, when there was a prophecy came that the judgment was going to come, it says he tore his clothes and walked softly. And God speaks to a prophet and says, did you see how uh, Ahab humbled himself? Because he did that, I'm going to delay the judgment for an entire generation. I'm going, good night. I mean, the best you, could, best you could say was that Ahab had moved from being stone cold towards God to being maybe modestly lukewarm. He was by no means on fire. He had not removed idolatry, didn't really change his life. But for goodness sake, he tore a, pair of, or a set of clothing and walked quietly. Not exactly zeal. You digging me? And so I'm thinking, that doesn't make any sense to me. And so I thought... And, and then God was pleased. And so I thought, this does not make sense. This does not compute. I cannot work this out. Then as I began to read and I began to study a little bit more, I began to see, okay, he's not saying that cold, lukewarm, and hot are a spectrum or a continuum of degrees of being hot or on, quote, on fire for God. In fact, he's not comparing 
as a continuum, uh, cold, lukewarm, and hot, he's actually comparing hot and cold on one side, lukewarm on the other. Are you following me? In other words, the analogy of this as a continuum that describes the passion of your heart, which is the way it's traditionally been taught, does not match up biblically with the symbolism that is used. What he's actually comparing is, I want you to be hot or cold versus lukewarm. So there's not a continuum. There is a comparison of hot and cold and lukewarm. And so I thought, okay, well, what does that mean? So I began to, I began to think about it, and I began to pray over it, praying and thinking. And, and what I realized was this. If there was, well, let me just say it like this. Hot and cold are both supernatural states. Lukewarm is the natural state of all things. Let's see if you can follow this reasoning. If you take a piece of ice out of a freezer in here, that is water that is in a supernatural state because it has been connected to a source that made it supernatural. Ice. If at the same time you had water that was boiling on a stove, that was water that was made supernatural because it was connected to a source that made it supernatural. If you remove both of those things from those sources disconnected to the source and put in a natural environment, they both become lukewarm. Lukewarm is a natural state as opposed to a supernatural state. He's not saying here, I want you on fire for Jesus. Or I want you to be stone cold towards him. But just don't be in the middle for goodness sake. It's ridiculous. What he's saying is, I want you supernatural. Supernatural. Now, I've had people argue with me about this, but honestly, I'm, I'm, they have to run outside of context. They have to run outside of other scriptures to, to argue. Now, I'm not, say, I'm not saying I'm right on all this stuff, but I'm saying they're wrong. <laughs> that was a joke. All right. Here's what's happened. Christianity has degenerated. The expression of Christianity has degenerated from a supernatural encounter and a supernatural relationship with the source himself who makes us supernatural. And we have drifted into our natural works, religious effort, all of this, forgetting him. And in the process, our works have been all too natural. And see, again, that goes on and says to this church, he says, because you say you're rich, you're increased with goods, you have need of nothing. Being discouraged through our failure to live a supernatural life through natural works, people become enamored with all of the natural things around them, and we begin to wrongly consume wealth and all this on ourselves instead of using it as tools for the gospel of the kingdom to go forward. So look at what Jesus says. This is the repentance. The repentance is not from bad natural things to good natural things. The repentance is away from a natural life to a supernatural life. The repentance is a supernatural revolution. That's what's coming. 
How many of you can connect with what I'm saying related to this supernatural thing? Yeah, does that make sense? And so look at what he says. He, and he gives practical keys here. As many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him, we'll dine with him, he with me. In other words, I just want to hang out with you. I want to talk to you. I I, I want to sit and just have fellowship. I want to come in my presence and I want to communicate with you. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the original intention of God. Never that we would live in a system of trying to gain what he's already given us, but we would simply just relate to him. He would tell us what to do and we would go do it. And we would do it supernaturally with his presence. It seems just way too simple, doesn't it? I've got a friend who lives in Nashville. And um, her husband is a very, very famous musician and producer. Um, and she, she doesn't have any of that kind of gifting. And so she decided, you know, I'm, I'm just going to pray. And I'm going to become real close to the Lord. And so she, she does. And so... Her husband, his studio was next door, and they'd be over there with all these incredibly famous, well-known people, most of them just as lost as Hogan's goat. You know, she's just next door praying and hanging out with the Lord. And one of the most notorious, uh, one of the, I, I guess the guy at this point was the best drummer in the world, but was just like, just a rank heathen. I mean, this guy's just, he was a bad man. But everybody loved him, you know, because he's just a great guy at the same time. I know religious people have struggles with that. But she's sitting in her house, and the Lord speaks to her and says, Today is the day that Larry, one of his last name, is supposed to get saved. She goes, Okay. So she walks next door to her husband's studio. She opens the door. Well, they just happen to be having a break. And as they are, Larry walks out into the hallway. And she walks up to him, and she said, Larry, today's the day you're supposed to get saved. And he goes, You're exactly right. And he drops his head, and for two hours, standing in the hallway, he confesses all of his sin publicly with no one telling him this and gets radically born again and walked with Jesus the rest of his days. And that's the way that Larry London got saved before he died. Super, super, incredibly famous drummer. Not not some hard-fought process. Sitting with the Lord, hanging out with the Lord. Lord, tell her to go do something. She goes in there. She tells him. He gets born again. Sitting at your, coffee, sitting at your table saying, how does, Lord, I just, I care about these people in Nepal. What can I do? Well, do this. All right, I'll do that. There's work involved. There's labor involved. Don't get me wrong. But it's born of the supernatural relationship. Supernatural revelation. All right, let's go on. And I'm going to, I can get done in two minutes. I stand, well, I want them to be able to do something, and I appreciate your support there. <laughs> Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice, opens the door, I will come into him and, and will dine with him, he with me. To him who overcomes will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. Jesus is saying if we can overcome this temptation to simply live a natural life disconnected from him as a source, 
and can have fellowship with him, hear his voice. That's the reason I wrote that book about you can all prophesy. Hear his voice, have this relationship with him, what he grants that group of people is seated with him in heavenly places in his throne. The last church on the planet is not the Laodicean church. It is the church that overcomes the Laodicean temptation. The last church on the earth, there's not seven churches uh, in the book of Revelation. There's eight. There's the one that overcomes this last one. It's the ascended church. It's the church that is seated in a heavenly place with Christ, living from a supernatural source, radically changing the systems of this world. Are you following this? And there's some more practical tools I'm going to talk about tonight in doing this, but I, really what I'm going to do tonight is what I'm most excited about. I've just been unable to really talk about it. it it's Revelation 12. You can, if you can't be here, you can just study it. You'll get it yourself. The Lord will show you. It'll be awesome. What I'm telling you is this. Let me, let me, I got, I got to do a few disclaimers, and then if you guys will get ready, I do a few disclaimers. Um, I don't understand English grammar. No, I mean really. I don't know how I survived in school because when they started talking about it, I just glazed over. My kids, I'll, I'll be writing, and my kids will say, "You can't do that." I mean, like my 14-year-old said, Dad, you can't do that. That's, that's an illegal thing thing. And I don't even know what it's called. And I just... <laughs> I mean, I, I've written books that have been published in 22 languages. I don't understand the English language. I mean, I understand how to speak, but I don't understand... The, my editors would say, you, you can't do that. I said, just fix it. Just fix it. I can't do this. You know, you don't have to have, let me say it differently, God will make up what you don't have naturally with supernatural help. Now, I, I'm all about education. I mean, we're going through a process with my kids. We, we instruct them. I mean, we're strong on education. I'm not, I don't believe it's the removal of our mind, but the renewal of our mind that, that empowers us. You know, we, we need to be educated on this. But I'm telling you, don't just think it's your natural gifting or your natural ability. It's the natural empowered supernaturally that enables us to accomplish this. Are you digging me? Now, here's what we fall to. We fall to thinking, well, those people are special. That, that guy who got the idea about Nepal is special. I, I know him. He's not special. No, I'm serious. I mean, and, and I'm not special. I mean, it's, it's just... That's not the case, okay? If you were to spend time with me, you'd see me. I couldn't find my keys at times. You know, I do stupid things. I haven't balanced my checkbook in 10 years. But I'm a little bit of a financial expert because God will speak to me about the stock market and things like that. I didn't make any sense. But anyway, that was, <laughs> I was trying to help you. Well, how does this happen? It happens like this. If we will sit with him, if we will engage him, if we'll listen to his voice, if we'll live in his presence, if we will practice our position in heaven, 
and get connected to his presence. He will tell us things. He will make us look better than we really are. He will empower us to change systems. I have no training in theology. That's obvious to some of you. I have. But the thing is, theologians are changing what they've believed now based on what I teach. It's happened in several countries where they've invited me to speak. I just spoke to doctoral students in Korea at a seminary. Cho's main theologian interviewed me three years ago because they were doing this huge thing on my book through the, their deal that goes to 30 or 50,000 pastors. My degrees in psychology, like with the minor in philosophy and mathematics, I knew nothing about this except what I've The Lord chooses the weak and the base things to confound the wise. Not just to confound them, but to revolutionize them at times. Okay, we want to do an exercise. Because here's what we want to do. This is not just some esoteric promise. This is not just some theological thing. We want to take a moment. We want to demonstrate. We want to model something about how to practically engage in this so that we can see the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and Christ. Fair enough? Okay. The mute button, of course. All right, um, I'm Vince Corcoran. I'm a third-year student at, at Morningstar. Um, if I can have you six and anybody who has stuff on these first two rows, we're going to need these two rows. So if you can clear all of that out and move yourselves to another seat, that would be great. Um, <clears throat> do you have your ten? Yeah, why don't you, why don't you grab your ten? Um, they're going to... We're going to grab 10 of you uh, for this, this exercise. What, what we're going to do, uh, this last week has been, the last two weeks really, has, have been some of the most powerful weeks uh, at Morningstar University that I've been a part of, and I've been here for two years. Well, there for two years. I'm not there right now. Um, and we have had just huge breakthrough that, that, is, that has got us, gotten us addicted to the Word and addicted to the presence of the Lord. Uh, and so we want to give that to you. Are you guys interested in that? Cool. Um, Okay, do we have our 10? Go ahead and just line up right here. I'm not going to knock you over on purpose. All right, three. Dos mas. Pastor Ray. That Ray. Is that 10? We're one short. Who really wants to be a part of this? All right. Becky, why don't you stand over here? And you three, turn this way and give me a line. Actually, you stay right there. You three, give me a line right here, facing that way. Yeah, all three of you. You two. Yep. Same thing. You three here, facing that way. And you three here, facing that way. All right. Rachel, can you stand behind them? <laughs> Don't give them the papers yet. Um, take that away. All right, Rachel is your encounter with the Lord, and this is you. And these are, you can stand right here. All right, all ten of you kind of, like, you're fighting. You don't want, you do not want Becky to, to get to her encounter. So these are the, these are the ten barriers that, that I've seen 
can get in your way of, of getting an encounter with the Lord and experiencing this breakthrough of the addiction to the presence of the Lord. Um, the first is, congratulations, you are angels, demons, any kind of spiritual thing that could possibly be in the way, which in Romans, Romans 8, Paul says, none of those things can keep us from the presence of the Lord, right? Neither angels nor demons, la, 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 la. So uh, you're not a problem. You can sit down. So then, so then the, the, the three parts to a person uh, are the body, the spirit, and the soul. And they each have three parts to them. I'm going to try to do this really quick. Of the body, there's the uh, blood, flesh, and bone. Paul says in, this is my palm pilot. The bot, <laughs> Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 12, that whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but th- I was caught up into heaven. So you three are not a problem. You can sit down. You can't stop Becky from getting to the Lord. All right, so you guys are her spirit. And it says in First uh, Corinthians 6 that uh, we are one spirit with the Lord. So our wisdom, communion, and conscience with the Lord is completely unified. We're, we've already been talking about being seated in heavenly places, so obviously our spirit is not going to keep us back from encountering the Lord, right? So you three are not a problem. Go ahead and sit down. All right, you guys, go ahead. Line up, line up this way now. Facing, facing her. You're, you're fighting her. You're trying to keep her from... You can go right in the, like a full line. One, two, three. Yes. There you go. All right. So the soul is... Uh, the mind, the will, and the emotions, right? So emotionally, you, yeah, you, you chose the, the fun one. Um, so your emotions, I think everybody would say that, that you are desiring to have an encounter with the Lord. That emotionally you're saying, if I could have an encounter with the Lord, that would be great. Is everybody with me on that? So you're not a problem. Your will is your decider. It, it's, you're making a decision, and you're saying, I am going to have an encounter with the Lord right now. So, is everybody okay to decide that? Okay, you're not a problem. So there is one barrier left to you getting an encounter with the Lord, and that's your own mind. And Paul says that if we set our minds on things above, that that, that takes that out of the equation. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to take the scriptures, um, and we're going to use the truth of the scriptures, speak it to ourselves, and enjoy the Lord. Set our minds on, on the things above, not on the earthly things. And we will, we will be just like Paul, caught up into, enraptured in however, whatever wording. I mean, we're already there, so it's not, a, it's not like you have to do anything. We're just using the scriptures as a launching pad to experience the Lord. So let's take uh, 12 chairs and circle them up here. I hope you guys are okay with us moving your chairs around. 